Welcome to the Locked On Steelers podcast. I'm your host, Chris Carter, and this is your daily dose of all things on the Pittsburgh Steelers. It's Thursday, y'all, and that means we're getting to the end of the week. But before we do, that means you know we got to do a throwback Thursday. Today's going to be a special episode of that, but before we get into it, Kevin Colbert just signed an extension with the Steelers. What are the terms? How long is he with the team? What does that mean for the legacy of Kevin Colbert? And what's going on with the Steelers for the next couple years? I'll get into all that and then dip into Throwback Thursday, which is going to be an explanation and a history of the Steelers in black history, considering that this is the beginning of Black History Month. Let's get into it. All right, everyone, welcome back to the show. Glad to have you guys on for the ride. Um, I, I debated on what I wanted to lead off with the top story with this because I had so there's a few different things to talk about that we'll talk about later in the week. But when this happened, had to make it the top story of the day. And that is Kevin Colbert, Steelers GM, signed to an extension that will have him at least through the next season and through another NFL draft. That's right, Kevin Colbert's back. It was no made made public last year that his contract situation was year to year going into this season, which means this could be his last year or it could not be his last year. But now it's been confirmed he will be with the Steelers at least through the end of the 2021 draft. That means he's going to be part of this draft this se- this upcoming season and then the draft following that. And then they'll probably reevaluate how he feels and how the team feels and move forward then. Now, this doesn't come as a surprise to me. Kevin Colbert, you guys have heard me say it with Tony all season, I I don't see any reason him or Tomlin would want to leave a team that has the potential that this team has right now, especially with the defensive talent that they have and that they finally assembled. They've got a dual-edge pass rush that's bringing it. they got great interior pass rush. They have cornerbacks. They have safeties. They have linebackers that can tackle. They They have a franchise quarterback. They have good offensive linemen. They have some young playmaking wide receivers. Maybe they got to, you know, sure up the tight end position and the running back position, but all of that screams potential. And in a, in a league right now that's not sure about where it's going, are the Chiefs the new dynasty that's going to take over the league? Is there a dynasty that's going to take over the league? Are the Patriots actually finished? All those questions can are put out there, but the Steelers are right in the middle of them. They were When, when Vegas released their odds uh, earlier this week on where, where teams ranked and what their chances were to make the Super Bowl, the Steelers were 10th on the list. And that's because... Teams, a lot of people are recognizing how 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 these teams that are competing right now are built, and the Steelers are right along those lines. And if you're going to pick one of those teams to have a defense that has the kind of pass rush the Steelers have that has led the NFL for three straight seasons seasons and sacks, along with this much improved secondary that's going to continue to improve, as along with a franchise quarterback, that makes sense to bet on it. So if you're if, if Vegas guys are seeing that, that means Kevin Colbert's absolutely seeing that. He's been with the Steelers since 2000. This is 20 years, two decades of, of running the front office and being the head of the personnel department. Now, officially, he was known as the team's general manager uh, back in 2010. That was you know when he got that, that, that official title. But this will be his 21st year. At the at at the at the head of, of their personnel department, he hand he 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 oversees all the scouting. He takes in the reports. He says who they should go after. He helps or orchestrate who they're gonna keep around. You know who they're gonna get in free agency. 
all of those things are vital. And Kevin Colbert couldn't be happier about the situation. You know, some were speculating when that report came out last year, and I told them not to. I told them this was not a big deal. It's just that he's old. He's 63. And he's thinking about retirement or thinking about what he wants to do for the rest of his life. You know, he's been a, he's been, being a general manager, you're, data, you're, 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 you're busy all the time, you're around the clock, always evaluating. You know, he might want to enjoy retirement. Um, and that, that was my take then, that's my take now. And, and this confirms it. And uh, Kevin Colbert gave a statement along with this announcement. He said, uh, quote, it's hard to quantify how fortunate I am to have been part of this organization for the last 20 years. I look forward to the challenge of getting our team back into playoff contention while never losing sight of our ultimate goal, winning a Super Bowl. And, uh, you know, that that's that's always who Kevin Colbert's been. They've had one losing season since he's been the, the, the team's general manager. That was in 2003. Um you know he's seen he's seen them through winning two Super Bowls, getting to three Super Bowls, um, and and it's a it's a mutual feeling. Uh, Art Rooney II came out with it with a statement. He said, "I'm happy to announce we have extended Kevin Colbert's contract for an additional year. Kevin continues to play a key role in our success, and his dedication to our personnel efforts is unparalleled. We are pleased he will lead those efforts for at least one more year." And that's the thing, Colbert. Is you know is the engineer behind a lot of the things that they're doing right now? He recognizes the talent that that that's out there, and he's created this stability that you can always count on the Steelers. Why why don't don't the Steelers ever have money in free agency? Because they're always busy paying the successful hits that this guy has in the draft. And yes, he has plenty of misses. Yes, he picked Jarvis Jones out there, but for every Jarvis Jones, there's a T.J. Watt. For every Jason Worlds. There's there's a Marquise Pouncey or a David DeCastro or a Ben Roethlisberger or a Casey Hampton or a Troy Polamalu. You get my point. Kevin Colbert has been the man. Now a lot of people praise Ozzie Newsom. I think part of that is because Newsom played a huge role in the NFL when he played, and then he went to general manager, and that's another story. But Colbert is the picturesque idol for what you want a general manager to be he always finds a way to keep talent around he's reloaded for this team several times over and he, ma- he helps make them competitive and as an extra tippet Colbert's also a Pittsburgh guy. He went to North Catholic High School. He went to Robert Morris University. For those who don't know, those are both Pittsburgh institutions. Um, you know, he, he's from this area. He, he's, he grew up here, and he's the fact that he's worked here for the past two decades and been a huge staple of uh, of an organization of the organization that represents the city when it comes to sports. There's, there's you know, you, you could say the Penguins are, have been more successful of recent, but they're when people think of Pittsburgh, they think of the Steelers. And, and how, and because they they're the legendary organization, and he's been you know the 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 guy that's been that's been pulling the strings to get the right players in for the past twenty years, and been part of two of those Super Bowl teams. You have to respect that, and I think that this is this is only good news that you can take from this right now. There's, there's no there's no bad news about this. Kevin Colbert, when he's ready to go, he's ready to go, and that's the thing. Kevin Colbert can ride his ticket out of town anytime he wants you know people and and you'll hear this and you'll hear this and you can go on twitter whenever whenever a draft pick doesn't work out people are doing this right now with terrell Edmonds. they're like oh my gosh what were they thinking when they drafted terrell Edmonds?" i'm like calm down this is the same guy 
that 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 picked through drafts and found T.J. Watt. When people said that he they should have gone for Reuben Foster, who's not even in the NFL anymore. Reuben Foster was the top inside linebacker prospect back to, back in the 2017 draft. They went for T.J. Watt, and now look at look at him. He's in consideration to be defensive MVP of the, of, of the league. This is a guy. Oh, for, oh, he picked Artie Burns. He doesn't know what he's doing. Yeah, he also pulled off the Minka Fitzpatrick trade. You know, come on. Kevin Colbert is 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 one of the great GMs of uh, in all of sports, not just the NFL, but in all of sports. He's great at his job. He deserves that respect. He can go out on his own terms whenever he wants. It's my speculation that he's going to go out when Ben goes out, and that's kind of how he wants it to be. That was the franchise quarterback that he was able to bring to the team, um, and uh, and I, and that, that makes a lot of sense. But if I'm Kevin Colbert again, why am I passing up on an opportunity when this team can compete and I can get another ring to my to my name? You know, Kevin Colbert, he might be in the he might be in the running for a Hall of Fame uh, induction someday, but. Uh, right now, we don't have to talk about that because he's he's going to be with the Steelers for another year. That's very good news for the organization, and it puts off having to reshuffle how their personnel department's going to be headed up. All right, that's the first segment. Next, I'm going to get into my Throwback Thursday segment. It's going to be a two-parter as far as the segments goes, so that's going to be the rest of the show. Got some interesting tidbits on Steelers in black history right after this. All right, listen up, guys. You know you guys can increase your performance and get that extra confidence in bed with Blue Chew. And that's BlueChew.com and blue like the color blue. Blue Chew brings you the first chewable with the same FDA-approved active ingredients as Viagra and Cialis, so you know they work. You can take them anytime, day or night, even on a full stomach, and since they're chewable, they work up to twice as fast as a pill, so you can be ready whenever an opportunity arises. Now, this isn't just for guys who can't perform. It's for any guy who wants extra function to enhance their performance in the bedroom. Right now, we've got a special deal for our listeners. Visit BlueChew.com and get your first shipment free. That's F-R-E-E, free. When you use our special promo code NFL, just pay $5 in shipping. Again, that's B-L-U-E-Chew.com, promo code NFL, to try it free. Blue Chew is the better, cheaper, faster choice, and we thank them for sponsoring the podcast. All right, y'all, it's time for Throwback Thursday. Now, last week when I started off Throwback Thursday, it was about a specific game, and it was to focusing on the 2010 Steelers-Ravens regular season uh, rematch. That was a big game. This is going to be more about the Steelers as a whole and what they've meant for uh, black history and inclusion in the NFL. You know, I brought up the Rooney Rule yesterday at the back end of the show as a point of just my statement I, where I believe the Rooney Rule is. But it's deeper than the Rooney Rule for what the Steelers have been for African Americans in sports throughout throughout the history of their existence. And this goes on. And this, as a person, for for those who don't know, I'm a black man. I'm a black Pittsburgh. I was born and raised in the city of Pittsburgh, and it's always been a sort of pride every time I've learned something else about the Steelers and what they did to fight for inclusion, to fight against segregation and racism over the years. So this is going to be sort of an homage that I make to them as, a, as an organization for the things that they've done um, uh, that have stood out over the history of time. Um, let's start way, way back with Art Rooney, the, the original, the chief, the guy that started the Steelers, the founder, and uh, the guy that, that that's so highly revered. Um, it, it was, you know, Art, Art Rooney was a guy when he started the Steelers. It was, you know, he founded them in 1933. They were originally the Pittsburgh Pirates, and they were coming along. But 
people don't realize that uh, Art Rooney was really a baseball fan, and he said as much in, in, in several interviews over the years. And he founded the football team because it was something different. But the reason he named them the Pirates was because the Pirates at the time were a very successful baseball club, and he wanted to model it after them. And uh, he revealed through interviews, and as well as uh, it was revealed by, uh, it was further explained by Gary Pomerantz, an author who wrote uh, Their Life's Work, a very gr an amazing Steelers a book about the Steelers that I suggest you go buy right now. Um, but it was revealed that Art Rooney used to meet with uh, the owners of the Pittsburgh owners of the Negro League teams that were in Pittsburgh to help and, and give them money to financially support them in their efforts to stay afloat. Now, for those who don't know, the Negro Leagues, of course, were the black baseball leagues that existed uh, back when segregation was a thing and black players weren't allowed to play in Major League Baseball. But Pittsburgh especially was known for its Negro League teams. They had the Homestead Grays and the Pittsburgh Crawfords. The Homestead Grays, Homestead being a, 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 a borough just outside of Pittsburgh where a lot of steel mills were located. Um, and really, it's it's just right next to the east. And I, I go into Homestead all the time, uh, right next to it's the waterfront if you've ever been, been there. Uh, but uh, the Grays and the Crawfords were two legendary teams. They had players like Satchel Paige, Josh Gibson, just le just huge legends that stood out in the history of of, uh, of the Negro Leagues. If you ever want to read about those guys, I, I suggest if you're a baseball baseball fan, you'd enjoy that. But Art Rooney was was believed in giving money to those to those guys to keep those teams afloat because he believed in in he liked Pittsburgh sports, he liked baseball, and he thought that those guys were some heck of ball heck of a ball players. Um, and I, I was I always found that wow, like this guy. And they said he would meet with the owner in like in the Hill District and just give him thousands of dollars, no strings attached, no 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 catch, just like hey, I just want to see you guys succeed. So that's very interesting. But then as you go down and go down through history, you find out the Steelers were the first ever organization to hire a black assistant a black assistant coach in the NFL, and that was. That was a uh, Lowell, Lowell Wesley Perry. This happened in 1957 when he was a receivers coach for the Pittsburgh Steelers. Now it was it was short lived, but Lowell Perry became becoming that uh, was uh, was was the first of what would start to get more into the league. Um, he and Lowell Perry was a very interesting uh, interesting person himself. He was he wasn't just a football player or a football coach. He went on to become a businessman. He would become the first uh, African American plant manager for a Chrysler plant. Um, he worked for the EEOC. He he has a great um, he has a great history as far as himself. So if you ever want to look up his information, I suggest you Google him. Uh, but point being, the Steelers led with that. That was that being a major point. For me, seeing like okay, well, at least they're they're leading that. But the Steelers go a lot deeper than just naming a guy and just like hey, let's just let's just bring this guy in just for the heck of it, just to say we were first. It goes deeper than that, and why? Well, because the Steelers continue to set this kind of standard over the decades. So yeah, that was the fifties, and you know the fifties a different kind of time. You know the Steelers, uh, you know, and also it should be it should be known the Steelers were completely irrelevant on the NFL scene. During during those years, they didn't really start to become relevant until the 70s. Uh, you know, the, the Steelers and Art Rooney were known as the lovable losers. That you know, Art Rooney was just the nicest gentleman that you ever met, but you know, he never beat anybody. And if you if you read several different accounts, you'll find that there are lots that there, there, there are lots of people who saw who who saw the practices of Art Rooney and saw how he would hire 
guys that he thought were nice guys, guys who he thought were, 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 were very good and exemplified, you know, what it meant to be the right kind of person, but he wasn't hiring the best football talent, and that's why they stunk over the years, and it wasn't until uh, his sons started to take over that you saw those those changes happen. Now he remained the owner, but he just wasn't the 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 CEO, the president, the, the guy that was that was calling all the shots. That started to happen with Dan Rooney, and um, as time went on, the Steelers had a couple more firsts in uh, in NFL history. Now, as far as black quarterbacks, um, the Raiders had the or the, I'm sorry, the Broncos had the first ever uh, black quarterback to be named a starter, though that was the AFL. Um, it was Marlon Briscoe, but the Steelers are the first ever NFL organization to name a black quarterback as a starter for the opening day of uh, of a season, and that was for Joe Gilliam, Jefferson Street Joe Gilliam, as his, as his name was. Uh, but for those who didn't didn't know Joe Gilliam, it's kind of crazy when you think back to that time and how and and where how the Steelers are going back and forth, even after uh, Terry Bradshaw was part of the Immaculate Reception in 1972. Uh, Joe Gilliam. Uh, beat him out in training camp to be the Steelers' 1974 starting quarterback because Gilliam was an amazing athlete. He was he could run, he could throw, he, and they said he had a cannon just as just as good, if not better, than Terry Bradshaw's. And he had a swagger about him. And uh, they, they said that the you know, people, the way that if you ever listen to old guys talk about how he threw the ball and how he would he could launch a 50 yarder without even looking at it. It was it, it's it's remarkable to hear that him and Terry Bradshaw were the two guys that they had to contend with. Now the problem with uh with 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 Joe Gilliam that came around is that Gilliam did have have a have a have a rough life. He did have a drug addiction problem. He eventually became homeless. He eventually came out of that, and he ended up uh he ended he ended up li- you know living and at least being able to see some of his uh some of his legacy live out and how people did appreciate his time. Uh, in the NFL, um, but he and he did he did get two Super Bowl rings in the four years with 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 the Steelers, um, and he made seven seven starts. But you know Chuck Noll told him, and, and Joe Gilliam said that Joe, Joe Gilliam said that Chuck Noll told him he's like he had to stop the destructive things in his life. Um, and uh, Gilliam, after losing his starting spot, it was said that he uh, he he started he's he started using drugs after that and then substance abuse led to more problems he had multiple arrests he had jail time and um you know he was a, he got signed by the saints but he never really you know he, he got cut and he never really played again in the nfl um but a lot of people respected him for the things that he did in college and for the fact that he what that that was a bit of trailblazing on his part and in in, in his first six games he was four one and one you know he he has a winning record for 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 the for the Steelers as a starting quarterback, um, but uh, unfortunately he died in uh, on Christmas Day in two thousand in in Nashville. But still, the the fact that the Steelers were able to, willing to go out on this limb and go on this limb against Terry Bradshaw, the guy who would eventually become the the, the franchise quarterback, the four time Super Bowl champion, and a guy who was the first overall pick by Chuck Knoll just four years before that in the nineteen seventy NFL draft. Um, I think to me that speaks a lot to what the Steelers were willing to put on the line to say, hey, you know what? We see past color. We're gonna see who's who has who has the talent here, and I, I think that speaks a lot to what the Steelers um, have meant over the over, over the years. And there's a there's a famous Sports Illustrated cover that says Pittsburgh's black quarterback. It's of Joe Gilliam in his not in his uh, number seventeen black jersey um, with with the Steelers. Um, so. 
Uh, that being said, that's the first half of what I'm going to get into. The second half goes into a, a more of a tie-in to the modern day of what the Steelers have, have been doing for black history. Be continuing that right after this. Okay, we're back. So now let's do, let's continue our trip down Throwback Thursday. Um, we're going to go into the next part of the 70s. And I sort of, I guess I kind of skipped this part because of uh, where the Steelers were with Joe Gilliam, but I wanted to tie this into how the rest of this segment went. Now, you might have heard the name Bill Nunn before, and those who do know, bear with me. Bill Nunn was uh, one of the was one of the legendary scouts of the legendary scout of the Steelers during the 1970s that helped form the legendary 1970s Steelers uh, that we know today that won four Super Bowls in six years. Bill Nunn uh, was a a you know what he, what he helped do for the Steelers was he helped find players that other teams were overlooking because of well where they came from. Now for those who don't know. Bill Nunn was a, was a writer for the Pittsburgh Courier. Now, the Courier has a lot of historical significance in Pittsburgh because at one point it was, uh, I think it was the longest standing black newspaper. It was founded uh, originally in 1907, uh, went through the 30s, used to be a huge follower, follower of the Negro Leagues and where a lot of people got their Negro League stories. It followed Jackie Robinson for a long time. Um, but when it, re it closed down and then reopened in the late 60s and... Uh, when Bill Nunn took it over as as, uh, as like one of the main editors, he took he took on the job to uh, to you know, he was the manage, managing editor and uh, and he started doing a top one hundred uh, HBCU football players. Now, for those who don't know what HBCU stands for, it stands for Historically Black Colleges and Universities. And what are those? Those are uh, universities, colleges that were founded in a time where segregation was still in place and black black people weren't given the opportunity to go to most white colleges or compete on most white white teams so HBCUs featured a lot of black athletes i went i'm an alumnus of an HBCU chain university which is actually the oldest HBCU in the uh, in the united states um, but all that aside bill nunn all you know he went to an HBCU himself and he wrote he would always do this list of 100 great HBCU players every year in college and uh, and create this list. Well, according to Gary Pomerantz in his book, their, uh, their, their life's work on that covers the Steelers and what they were doing in the 70s, he, uh, Bill Nunn was approached by the, uh, by, by Dan Rooney and the Steelers saying, hey, you know, Bill, you know, we, we haven't seen you around the Steelers organization a whole lot. And uh, Bill said, I know, it's because I can't get credentials to cover you guys' games. He's like, really? And he's like, yeah, whenever I've applied, you guys have denied me. And so, you know, the Roonies realized that that was something that, that was an oversight. They didn't know that. That wasn't intentional on their part. But, you know, it's part of what happens when you're the black newspaper in, in, in town in the time, you know, when you're talking about the 60s and 70s, when racism was at, you know, a, a, a very high point. Uh, but, you know, a, as this as this was happening... Bill, they recognized Bill's talents, and they offered him a scouting position with the team. At first, he didn't want to take it, but eventually he did. And it was a very good thing because he found them several great HBCU talents that would that would contribute to the Steelers of the 70s uh, over, the, over that next decade. Um, and who were some of those players? Well, just to name a few, uh, if, if, you look, if you look at the, the list of players that he brought into the Steelers, it, inclu it included uh, half half of the steel curtain and and being the defensive line, uh, defensive tackle Ernie Holmes, a guy that was considered a Mack truck, and so so from from all stories and accounts, 
a guy that even Joe Green feared because of how strong and crazy he was. And also, defensive end L.C. Greenwood, uh, who I brought up the other day as a guy that should be in the NFL Hall of Fame, probably won't ever be because people dis uh, the rest of the 70s Steelers, but that's a guy that has the most sacks in the history of the Super Bowl. And those are two guys that without them, there's no steel curtain. They're, they were absolutely part of the wrecking crew that was the best defensive line in the history of the league and the, the catalyst for the greatest def defense in the history of the league. Um, then also, you got to consider Mel Blunt, another HBCU graduate, John Stallworth. And John Stallworth is an interesting case because if you read Gary Pomerantz's book, you'll read about the accounts about how the, the 1974 draft class, also the greatest draft class that ever existed, the Steelers got now five Hall of Famers out of, out of that year, um, which is never, there's nothing that comes close to that by any NFL team in a single draft class. But he thought the Steelers should draft John Stallworth first because he, he saw how talented he was. But the Steelers would draft Lynn Swan first. Then they would draft uh, Jack Lambert in the second round. And then John Stallworth would eventually come along with Mike Webster. And uh, that, that would be the four drafted players that would make the Hall of Fame. Um, but Stallworth, you know, him and Swan being being one and two, the Steelers, uh, it, it was later revealed that they actually, they found the footage of John Stallworth, uh, you know, of what he did in college, and they hit it. They didn't pass it around the NFL, and they said they eventually did it. Yeah, we did that because we didn't want anyone to know just how good that guy was. And that became one of the greatest wide receiver tandems in the history of the game, uh, and, a, and a huge part of their winning four Super Bowls. But the fifth Hall of Famer didn't even come from the draft. It was an undrafted free agent from that year. And that was Donnie Shell, another HBCU athlete. And he's the guy who you heard me talk about not too long ago, who is now being inducted as part of the Centennial class into the Pro Football Hall of Fame. He's uh, He has 51 career interceptions. He, uh, you know, up to Troy Polamalu, he was the team's greatest safety in the history of their team. And he was a guy that was, that lined up everywhere, that intercepted so many passes and hit like uh, hit like a crazy man you know and he he broke earl campbell's ribs in earl campbell's primes and those who don't know earl campbell is widely considered maybe the greatest power running back of all time right up there with jerome bettis um so that that's the damage that that, that, that they, they could have that they did have done but you look at this these are these are several major contributors to what this to what the steelers did in the 70s er, er, ernie holmes lc greenwood mel blunt john stallworth Donnie Shell. And I mean, if you combine Mel Blunt and Donnie Shell's numbers, that's over a hundred interceptions in their time with the Steelers. Both of those guys coming from the uh from, from HBCUs and succeeding in the NFL. And if you read the colors of Color of Su Sunday um, by Andrew Conti, it's another that's another great book. Um but uh and, and it, that just that talks about the history of HBCU athletes in the NFL and um and and what what the what the Steelers meant meant to that because I talked about how the Steelers in the seventies they really were in were part of a of a paradigm shift they went uh, above and beyond as far as finding uh finding these athletes and saying hey we're gonna take the chance on these guys um and uh, you look at that and you're like wow that 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 set the tone because after the Steelers did this more NFL teams were like, well, hey, we want to get the top athletes out of HBCUs. And HBCUs, they just weren't highly recruited from. Now, there were some teams like the Kansas City Chiefs. They they got some players from HBCUs, but it wasn't like it wasn't being revered as as this this bank of talent that you could dip into. And uh, soon after that, you saw other teams dip into it. Uh, eventually, the Chicago Bears, that's where they got Walter Payton, the 49ers. That's where they got Jerry Rice. These, those guys are all HBCU talents. And uh, a after that, 
you know, HBCU sort of died off in the amount in, in the large quantity of talent that they that they were possessing because then other school other schools were starting to see whoa they're getting they're getting all these players we need to change our recruiting tactics to get those talents and uh you saw a lot of those those guys the the walter paytons the jerry rices those type of players would start going to those d1 college programs and getting those opportunities um but you know but but hbcus to this day still have relevance other players in fact right now javon hargrave who most likely isn't going to be with the steelers because his contract's up but he went to south carolina state which is the same college donnie shell went to in hbcu um and uh he was you know he he represents you know that continued legacy other other more recent steelers not recent as in now but earl holmes if you remember him we were number 50 uh back in the late 90s early 2000s he was an inside linebacker he was an hbcu graduate Greg Lloyd for a lot of the, for a lot of the people that grew up in my generation Greg Lloyd was one of the the first you know the the, the guy that was just like the mean stealer and he was just the identified you know uh they they hired they didn't hire me for my disposition they don't pay me for my disposition um uh, that 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 guy embodied what it meant to be you know the mean stealer guy and to to be the villain uh villain edge rusher long before Joey Porter but he's another HBCU talent and Bill Nunn started all of that and in all the while too you know, you're talking about the Steelers doing that. They also, they brought in Tony Dungy as a player. He got a couple Super Bowl rings as a player with the team. And where did Tony Dungy get his coaching start? Well, it was with the Pittsburgh Steelers. And uh, you look up, you look, you look up how, how that, how that kind of got started with Tony Dungy and his, his career. Uh, he, you know, he was, he was, he roomed with Donnie Shell while he was with the, um, while he, while he was with the Steelers and he played with the Steelers from 77 and 78, um, but uh, you know when when he was when he was there, they said he was very astute. He was always learning about what he needed to do, and um, and he knew what everyone's jobs were. It was obvious that this guy was going to be a coach, and he got his his start in coaching in 1981 as a defensive backs coach for the Steelers. He did that until 1983. He became a coordinator uh, for the Steelers from eight, from 1984 to 1988, um, and then he eventually. Um, went on he bounced around the league a little bit longer was the defensive backs coach for the Kansas City Chiefs uh defensive coordinator for the Minnesota Vikings and eventually became the head coach for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and when he was head coach of Tampa Bay Buccaneers he built a a really good team uh they eventually eventually fired him um after five years and then just after that they would go on to win the Super Bowl with the with the roster he assembled but on that on the, the the coaching staff that remained after after Tony Dungy was a certain coach by the name of Mike Tomlin, who was part of who was the secondary coach, and he was part of that defense that returned three interceptions for touchdowns in their blowout of the Oakland Raiders uh, when the Buccaneers won their first and only Super Bowl victory. But Tony Dungy would get right back into the head coaching game. He would coach the Indianapolis Colts and Colts, and he would coach them on in 2006, and he would become the first ever African American head coach to win the Super Bowl, and he got his start with the Steelers and it's crazy because the very next the the, the very next uh, two year, two years after that actually um he uh he was followed up by Mike Tomlin being the second African-American head coach to win a Super Bowl and he had career ties with Tony Dungy and you look at that and you're like man what kind of grandfathering in is that that Chuck Knoll gave the start to Tony Dungy Tony Dungy contributed to the time of Mike Tomlin and now Mike Tomlin winning Super Bowls with the, with the Steelers and uh, them being the first and the second black head coaches to win Super Bowls in the history of the NFL. Um, 
I think I think that's remarkable. And it just it goes into what the Steelers saw way back when. And Bill Nunn, another guy who deserves to be in the Pro Football Hall of Fame, his legendary scouting led to the success that they had in the 70s. Uh, several people have, have made made accounts for this. Dale Lawley's pushed for this. Bob Labriola, who works for the Steelers, has pushed for this. Uh, even Mark Madden, uh, the uh, local radio host in Pittsburgh, who's uh, he's, he's like the number one show in town. And he, he you know, after, after the Hall of Fame induction, he made it. He made it clear. He was like, he's like, it's it's a, it's crazy to think that Bill Nunn's not in the Hall of Fame, and he should be. He's a great. He's a, he, he was a great scout. Uh, if you also know, his son was a was a was an actor. Uh, if you remember his more notable roles uh, as Radio Raheem in uh, uh, in uh, Do the Right Thing, he had a, he had a long history of being good in the uh, of being of being a, a good actor. Um, had several roles, also featured in Sister Act um, and other and other things. I look at that and I'm like, man, like Bill Nunn, what a legacy in Pittsburgh. And again, leaning back to black his black history. In, in, in the United States and in the NFL, the Steelers have often been a trailblazer and, you know, finishing off with the Rooney Rule, their history of being a, of being the organization that said, hey, we should have we, we you know, we, we should we should have a rule that says that you have at least have to to interview, not hire, but interview black and minority coaches in your coaching process. It for a time helped solve the problem of diversity in the NFL. We all know that changed uh and 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 that we and i talked about that yesterday on the show if you want to hear the argument go back and listen to the previous episode um but the fact that it was at least an attempt and a move done by the Roonies, i think it just kind of brings it all around to show all the things that they've done in uh black history in the nfl so i hope that you guys enjoyed that let me know if you did you know if you want to follow me or, or talk to me on twitter Hit me up at Carter Critiques. I'm always on Twitter. Uh, if you follow me, I'll follow you back. Hit me with an at. Hit me with a DM. Always down to chat with you guys. As far as uh, you can also join the Facebook group. There's several discussion groups that are in there all the time. We have hundreds of loyal listeners in that group. Go to Facebook. Search Locked On Steelers. You can join the group. Just ask to join. I'll, I'll add you as soon as I can. You can start your own comments you can start you can jump in other people's i sometimes get a chance to reply you can also chat with tony serino the, the our pre our, our my former co-host um that, that that's, that's been on the show um and uh, but, but you can talk about all those things there let me know what you thought about this segment because when i was learning these things over the past few years i was always astounded to think man the steelers had this much of a, of a weight in black history wow that's amazing so um, i find that astounding i hope you did too uh, let me know what you think. If you like, if you're in, if you enjoyed this podcast, please hit the subscribe button if you haven't already. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, uh, Spotify Podcasts, Stitcher, wherever podcasts are hosted. Please leave us leave me a five star review. Uh, doing so helps get the word out. You can also leave a positive comment. Thanks to all those who already have, and thanks to those who are part of the Locked On Sports Locked On Steelers Sports community. I'll be back tomorrow, final episode of the week, getting you ready for the weekend.